0: I think when you're going to do something challenging, which you should, I certainly believe, like, I, if, if you're somebody who gets a lot of satisfaction out of doing something challenging, then you have to be willing to apply yourself and, and fail and learn and grow from that and, and then try again just as seriously. At risk of failure, I think that's from something that I've certainly found necessary in my journey.
1: What are we doing out there folks this is your host with the most kenny vaughn i play for team Breakline, and i am so excited to be here with my partner in crime
2: what is up everybody it is sophia i also play for team Breakline. welcome back to the arena
1: well i don't know about you sophia but this is just a great conversation we had a chance to catch up with one of our alumni addison bohannon he's a west point graduate this dude is just super smart. I mean, off he's the charts. Off. off the charts, smart. He is a senior data scientist at Gusto, but he just had so many cool life experiences leading up to his current role and the work that he's doing. I'm really excited for this conversation because I know we have a, a wide span and array of different experiences and talents and skill sets that, that come through our BreakLine Education program. And for me, I think it's always cool when you get a chance to hear from folks that just have like this really technical, really complex background and just hearing how they've been able to really step into these places and spaces and fields. And so I'm really excited to share this conversation. Your boy had me cracking up, by the way. I mean, he's a funny guy. He had me rolling. As you were listening to this conversation, what was one of your favorite parts or one of your favorite takeaways?
2: Yes. um, Well, one of my favorite parts is that you can really pick up on the fact that Addison is extraordinarily technical. He also has such a high EQ and has managed to up level every single team that he has helped manage. So at one point he was leading a team of infantry officers and then he's also led teams of researchers and and he kind of speaks to the fact that when you're leading different people you have to tap into what motivates them what excites them what is really going to direct all of your efforts in the same direction so he's managed to kind of crack the code on how you manipulate your own leadership style to reflect the people that you're trying to serve and i think that that is always a tremendous reminder from for anyone from any type of background oh
1: yeah and i think what i love about that part of the conversation is i think that's directly applicable to everybody in the workplace i mean you're gonna be working with folks from diverse backgrounds diverse experiences and leadership is not a one-size-fits-all type of endeavor so to be able to get those insights that addison shares during this conversation i think that's a super applicable point that you mentioned And for me, I'm gonna take it to the other end of the spectrum because in the arena, we're not only out here for our listeners, but we're out here for the kids too. We're out here for the kids. This is a kid-friendly environment. And so to hear Addison just start off with the experience of being able to go to the St. Louis Science Museum almost every summer with his grandfather from a very young age and the curiosity that that instilled in him, that was, one of the most fascinating parts of the conversation for me. And so as you look at someone who, like I said, did their undergrad at West Point and was a mathematical science and physics major, graduating in the top 5% of his class, you know, uh, went on and got his master's degree and his doctorate, in Applied Mathematics, Statistics, and Scientific Computation. I mean, I had to look that Let's up. Let's go. I had to look that I was like, what? I don't even know what that means. Uh, so, numbers. you know, as as we're listening to Dr. Bohannon share Man. his story.
2: Put the respect on his name.
1: It was just so great to see when that seed was planted at such a young age. And to see how that is manifested time and time again over the course of his life just that insatiable curiosity that growth mindset and so regardless of whether you're in a technical field or a non-technical field i think honing your craft and gaining some level of expertise really just starts with that curiosity and that passion and that was one of the biggest takeaways that i had from this from this conversation so I don't know about you, Sophia. I got to get me some Campbell's soup over here. I'm feeling a little bit of the weather. So maybe we just need to let these listeners go on and get back to this episode so I can get my Campbell's soup. They can listen to this conversation.
2: (laughs) Kenny's powering through for y'all, you guys.
1: (laughs) They can listen to this great conversation and uh, we can just have another great experience here here in this Breakline Arena. What do you think? Delightful. Let's get it. All right. We will see y'all on the other side. We are in here with my main man, Addison Bohannon. Addison, how are you doing this evening?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me, Kenny.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here. And I want to just start off by giving you a major shout out, a major kudos, because earlier this week, I got to let our listeners know, you were even helping out Team Breakline uh, by doing a coding workshop, getting us spun up. Um, so you and tonight you're here spending time with us in the arena, so we appreciate you brother. So I know you just landed an amazing role at Gusto as a senior data scientist. I would love to work our way back to present day. But before we do, you mind if we take it all the way back?
0: <laughs> yeah, please, please.
1: Okay, all right. So I know you from a little place called Janesville. You know, we did receipt <laughs> our, our, our research out here in the arena. We know you're from Janesville, but I actually would love if you could share a little bit more about your grandfather's influence. I know that uh, he used to take you to the St. Louis Science Center, if I'm correct, from a very young age. Would love if you could just share a little bit more about that experience.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, so I I grew up in Janesville, Wisconsin for the most part, but a lot of my family's from Southern Illinois and, and St. Louis area. So in particular, my, my grandpa was in St. Louis and uh, so it's like, it's about a six hour drive from where I grew up in Janesville to St. Louis and my, my grandpa made such a point to be a part of my life that, I mean, maybe every other month or something, my, we would do a, we'd do a halfway swap. So my mom would drive me down to Bloomington Normal, Illinois. And my grandpa would drive up from St. Louis to Bloomington Normal and we'd meet at the same rest stop. And then, and then I'd head back to St. Louis with my grandpa and spend the weekend. Inevitably in every trip, we would go to the St. Louis science center, which I don't know if it's world famous or just, you know, famous to me, but we
1: can call it world famous. We'll go ahead and
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. We'll call it world famous.
0: The, uh, the world famous St. Louis science center every time I visited, we would go there. And uh, I mean, they had sort of static displays that were always the same. And then they'd have like different feature displays, but, or exhibits, I guess. But uh, I, I loved it. And, and it, it was, you know, I suppose as you would expect, my, my sort of personal passions or, or interests would, would evolve with the revolving exhibits. So I, I variously went through being obsessed with dinosaurs and wanting to be a paleontologist, uh, so, so loving the solar system.
1: I, I, did, I did hear about this. And what's interesting is i got to take folks back because we we had a chance earlier this year to have Ronnie Johnson, she's the chief information officer at TIPCO, join us in the arena. And she shared a story about declaring her major at a very young age. You, sir, if I remember correctly, said you wanted to be a paleontologist when you were in kindergarten. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. Cool. and And I guess yeah. in... In in first grade was when I decided I wanted to be an astronomer.
1: Uh Uh-oh, you made a hard pivot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the first of many in my life. But, I mean, interestingly, I suppose it really stayed that until about middle school when I figured out that most astronomers were actually physicists or astrophysicists or something. And so sometime in middle school, I decided I wanted to be a physicist. And then I guess it wasn't until college that I figured out, well, most physicists are really mathematicians. And then I was like, well, I guess I should be a mathematician.
1: So what I already love about this story is just the curiosity that stemmed from that relationship with your grandfather. And as you're spending time in these museums, where you've done some very complex and complicated things over the course of your life. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Where did you think that sense of curiosity came from? Was it something that was just always fostered through those interactions? Was it something that um, your parents kind of told you, hey, this is the path to success? Or was it just more so something that you feel was innate as part of those great childhood memories?
0: Hmm. That's a great question, Kenny. Let me think about that. I mean, I suppose there's some combination. I I think I had a I mean, I had a disposition that certainly, like, predisposed me. And I i mean, I think the, the generally positive experiences early on around learning about the world when at places like the Science Center, I mean, I suppose that sort of together put some of those blocks into place. I think my mom would um, support this statement, but I think I was... I was pretty self-motivated in, in wanting to learn and challenge myself and and learn about things. So I don't, I don't think it was something that was like externally imposed.
1: You know, what's cool about that is I feel like I I know we have some parents that are listeners of the Breakline Arena and for myself as a parent, I've, my, my son just turned 13, I've got a soon to be nine year old daughter. And I think what I love most about hearing the stories of our community is just the importance fostering that that curiosity at such a young age and to see the benefits that it goes on to reap later on in life has just been fascinating to me. I appreciate you uh, allowing us to unpack that a little bit more and and sharing a little bit more about your, your upbringing. What was it in particular that made you make the decision to want to serve? Did you have any family members that, that served in uniform prior to going to West Point?
0: I I did. It was maybe not like a central, not maybe a central part of my consciousness or like family consciousness, but my, my grandfather in St. Louis, he was in the Navy. My um, another grandfather of mine was in Vietnam, but you know, neither made a career out of it. So yeah, I, I feel like I didn't strongly consider I was actually it was my eighth grade English teacher. At the time I was really consumed with what I was going to do in the future as as all eighth graders are, I, you know. I, wasn't um... <laughs> gonna say anything, but I was going to say
1: but that's pretty impressive for the eighth grade.
0: <laughs> and yeah, I was uh I I mean the things I knew about myself at that point were well, I'm good at school and I'm good at sports. And uh, I, was, I was talking with my teacher about what I should do with my life. And her, her dad had gone to the Naval Academy, as it turns out. And so she suggested that, you know, I look into the academies. And so I, I started. I guess we, we did have the Internet at that point. So I was able to just sort of find the academies online, do a little bit of research. And the thing that sort of connected for me... Was as I was looking into it, West Point is one of these things that I guess, you're, if you, if you don't come from a family West Point family or something or military family, you you only sort of, encounter it I don't know cha- tangentially or something in your history class or in biographies of of leaders, and so it's it's this word that sort of has a connotation to it of being associated with with great leaders, so. Then all of a sudden I was like, wait, this is a, this is a college. Like you can, you can go there. And, and this apparently seems to be a, you know, place that a lot of people who've had a, you know, pretty significant impact through their service and, and careers have gone there. And it was like, this, this is a uh, very intriguing and wait, they, it's not just academics and it's not just athletics, but they preach leadership and it just. It all sort of made a lot of sense to me. Like, I was like, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm after in an experience or a college experience. And so, yeah, that was, that was eighth grade. I had, so I, I guess then I decided I was gonna go to West Point. And except for like a brief period my freshman year in high school where I thought I was gonna go to the Naval Academy, I always sort of stayed true to that, that goal. So, or the goal of going to West Point.
1: It's amazing to see the impact that mentors can have in our lives, right? I mean, that the genesis of that stemmed from the conversation with your eighth grade English teacher. And so to see how that ultimately changed the trajectory of your life, I think that is very, very cool. And you know I got to brag on you for a second, because I know we playing it real humble right now, but you didn't just go to West Point. You went to West Point and you kind of crushed it, right? So, you know, graduated top 5% of your class and didn't have an easy major, by the way. I was looking at your LinkedIn. I was like, this brother made majored in mathematical sciences and physics. And so, as a as a fellow West Point graduate, I can I can attest that that is no small feat, my friend. And so, would love to hear any stories that you have. I know I tell anyone who's willing to listen that West Point was a transformational experience for me, on so many different levels, and all of the graduates that I know and my friends and classmates would attest to that and say the same thing. How about for you? What, what was that? Was, was there a defining moment of that experience for you that sticks out as you look back on your journey at the academy?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's, that's tough. And, and then you've got to get sort of like dig, dig beyond the, the cynicism that we like veil. You know, the experience and <laughs> you know, often. We could,
1: we could have a whole part two. We could have a B-side episode for the same. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, I loved my time at West Point. I, I feel um, not ashamed to say that. My, my wife is actually also a graduate, and she gives me a lot of uh, grief for how much I loved West Point. I, I, was, I was fortunate to be somebody who, you know, my sock drawer was organized before I went to West Point. So, you know, I, a a lot of it was, uh, you know, made sense to me, um, anyways, but uh, defining moment, I think, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of levels to, I think the, the thing that sort of most immediately comes to mind, I mean, as you said, the, you know, the people, um, I mean, to, to this day, my best friends are people who I met at the Academy, um, And, you know, just about everybody who like stood up at my wedding, you know, the people who I've stayed in touch with, like through, you know, the various places I've, I've moved and, you know, all the different jobs and, you know, all the other life um, events that have come up, you know, the people who have been there throughout or, you know, my friends from that I met at school. And I think, I mean, certainly it owes a lot to like how much you sort of share and grow at that time together, you know, you have so much shared experience. It attracts a, you know, a certain personality type, a certain, um, you know, somebody who is called to, to service, to, to, you know, mission driven, um, causes. So, I mean, I I think it sort of brings together a lot of like-minded people. That's, I mean, sort of a great substrate for, you know, Piling on top the shared experience, um, I, I think one of the other things, um, and I, I think, you know, this is this is true sort of throughout the army. But one of the interesting things about, you know, going to West Point and sort of wherever you you know come from, um, the the like forced geographic distribution, you get this like perfect cross section of of America. Um, and so you meet people from every different state, rural areas, urban areas, suburban areas, um, the West, the Northeast. And, and you get this, you know, just rapid exposure to other worldviews or lived experiences. And had I stayed in Wisconsin, I'm not sure I would have seen in the same way. And I mean, that, that's certainly transformation. Just in your sort of understanding of, um, you know, of how you see the world, just how diverse of views there can be. Uh, and then the army, when you when you go from West Point to the army, then it's, you add sort of other layers to that. I think probably much greater socioeconomic stratification and sort of racial diversity. And between West Point and, and the army, I mean, your, your exposure to society, I mean, it's just so much greater, I think, than through a lot of other experiences. that was certainly transformational to me.
1: I think what I love about what you just shared there is, this is one of the things that I love about our veterans community. Absolutely love it, is the fact that by sheer nature of our military service, our experiences in different leadership roles and capacities, you are gonna go through the, the gauntlet and the crucible of leadership. And you're gonna be working with folks from different experiences, backgrounds, cross-sections of the United States, like you said. And when you're in the trenches together, in the rubber meets the road, you realize that there's this shared humanity that we all face, right? when we're trying to overcome adversity, when we're trying to work towards a common goal, when we're trying to motivate and inspire each other. And so that's why it is always such a blessing to, you know, um, to, to work with our veterans and, and have the veterans as a core member of our breakline community. And so to hear you share that, I thought it was just very cool because it leads towards some of those transferable um, skill sets that we ultimately bring into the workplace. So I thought it was great point that you share there. And so now we've we've navigated the West Point journey. We're out into the Army. I want to hear about some of these early Army experiences, because I know everyone has a little bit of a different experience. But tell me about your leadership experience as a young lieutenant out there uh, as an infantry officer in the Army.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of levels to to that as well, naturally. At at some level, I was not a very good junior officer. I think that's probably a a fair statement. I had a lot of growing up to do. I I certainly didn't realize and didn't have to confront before then. One thing that I I feel, you know, everybody's sort of army experience is is obviously I mean, there's a lot of common elements to it, but, you know, they're also unique. Um, And and something that I, I thought was and you're an 08 grad is that right Kenny That's correct yeah, so uh, maybe you've had a similar experience, but it was interesting being at West Point around that time because all of our rotating faculty instructors were coming out of company command, most of them had deployed to Iraq like during the surge or before it I mean, I guess leading up to the surge. And those were also some of the years where we had like the heaviest casualties and in our like West Point alum. And, and so there was, there was definitely this, like, I mean, it, it was present in like everything that we did at West Point, you know, was, it was preparation to deploy and then lead soldiers as a platoon leader. That was sort of the whole experience was geared toward that. And when I graduated in 09, we were tapering in Iraq and we were surging in Afghanistan, but the the troop requirements in Afghanistan were still like significantly less than Iraq at during the surge. And so, um, I, I mean, the, the unit that ended up going to, we ended up on the patch chart for Iraq at the time that we were like tapering down and, and it created a lot of dissonance for me that I had had this five years of preparation to be a combat leader. And, and then it was like clear that that wasn't going to be the experience that I had. Like we weren't going to go to Afghanistan where we were ramping up, um, combat operations and it created a lot of dissonance for me. And I, and I didn't really have the maturity to deal with that with that at the time. And it, you know, it it made what we were doing feel very, you know, much less important.
1: So you mind if we unpack this a little bit more? Because I think it takes a lot of self-awareness and introspection to be able to even admit what you just shared in terms of leadership lessons, areas for growth in your own leadership style. We have a lot of early career professionals that may be listening in to this episode and would love to hear just a little bit more insight into some of those lessons that you had to learn about yourself as a leader and how those informed future decisions that you made subsequently in your career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think first off, you've got to make mistakes to be able to introspect. Um, so I was really good at that. Um, (laughs) yeah so I, i i think as well as i can sort of understand it at this point i mean as i i said it's sort of i i felt like what i was doing wasn't important as what i expected to be doing and uh and i wasn't i mean i think i wasn't mature enough you know one to sort of see the importance in what I was doing or recognize the importance in what I was doing at the time, independent from what I expected to be doing. I I think that is something that sort of, I definitely gained greater awareness of, I mean, later in my career, even when I wasn't sitting in the main effort, I, I still, recognize the importance of what I was doing in service to my organization's mission or to the broader army mission. Being able to connect those dots and, and accept this is where I'm at. And then, and I think the other part of it that I couldn't do at the time was then be serious about it. Really put yourself out there to do it as well as you can. Apply the effort you know necessary to be successful at the risk of, of of trying and failing you know it's something that you didn't think was that Im- important I, I think that was the thing that if i were to look back it was probably a little too self-conscious to 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 try really hard and fail at something that i perceived as not that important going forward i'd say i'm, I'm fortunate to um you know my wife is now my mentor and she's coached me to be much more mature and handle all these situations better. But I mean, that's sort of a really like simple lesson that I, um, it, as I, you know, sort of watched her, you know, parallel experience as she didn't make those mistakes, I, I really learned a lot from watching that and, or how, how hard she worked to be successful and how seriously she took each opportunity she had in, you know, leadership or in staff or And, and, and I certainly now can apply that or apply that to whatever job I'm doing at the time, it's the opportunity at hand and it's no other opportunities are promised and it, your perception of how important or critical that job is. Like, regardless of that, you've got to apply yourself if you're going to be successful and then if you don't understand how it connects, I mean, the, the onus is sort of on you too figure out how it connects and to I think to influence those who have the ability to change that, to, you know, realign what your mission is. And I think, and, and to be able to do that in a you know, really constructive, positive way, was also something I couldn't, was certainly not mature enough to do as a, uh, as a young Lieutenant, but I, I think I'm starting to sort of cultivate that skill.
1: So shout out, shout out to all of the healthy relationships out there because it takes some humility, you know, it takes some humility to learn from your partner and learn from your spouses. So shout out to all the healthy relationships out there and the continued growth. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that kind of resonates with your story here is I think as someone who has served and has been in various organizations it is, it is just important for leadership to be able to articulate the importance of the mission and the vision. And even if there is a misalignment in terms of the perceived importance, that's when it's most important for those leaders to step in and be able to articulate and inspire those under their charge. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I know it's. It's. it's not always easy having to go back and replay some of these these life lessons. But I think just based on the experiences that so many of us go through, I think there are so many commonalities in what you just shared with, with what so many working professionals face on a day-to-day basis, right? It's trying to find that sense of purpose. It's trying to find that reason to always do your best like you were just saying. And that is not always an easy thing to do. So, I appreciate you sharing that, and before we pivot away from your military experience, you had some really cool opportunities. I know you, you you know, we, we peeled back the curtain a little bit, but you actually had a chance to spend some time at the U.S. Army Research Laboratory. I know you led, you know, a team of 20 plus scientists and engineers. I would just absolutely love if you could peel back the curtain on this chapter of your career where you're getting a chance to work with a team of 20 plus researchers and scientists. You guys are doing these cutting edge research projects on augmented reality, virtual reality, machine learning, um, natural language processing, and just would love to hear some additional insight into that particular chapter of your career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a really, I mean, fantastic experience that I had. I think I found, a, I found a community there that, I mean, similar to the community that you have at West Point, I, the, the people who are doing research for the Army have chosen to do that to apply their deep technical expertise and the knowledge that they've earned through years of, of training and study to come and, and apply that for the army. There's sort of a, a self-selected group of people who are very mission-driven, have a lot of national pride. Like, so it it, it really was a community that made a lot of sense to me, and I felt at home in really talented, Im- impressive people who inspired me in my research. That was a really Great experience, and then the uh, I think the other really sort of interesting thing that happened about the time that I was there is, of course, this is uh, you know midway. I spent about five six years at ARL, the Army Research Lab, and and midway through was when the Army stood up Army Futures Command, so a new four star command first since the seventies, and. I mean it it impacted every corner of the of the organization. I mean it changed significant aspects of what we were doing and how we were doing it and why we were doing doing it. It created a real I mean in in bringing sort of research and development closer to the Army acquisition uh, process. It it gave a lot more purpose and immediacy or urgency to what we were doing. And 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 then at the same time, I mean, this sort of overlaid with the uh, move and changes in our operating concept. So it, it created a very I mean I guess times of, of high disruption. they are big sort of growth and, and learning opportunities. So I mean it was it was a really unique time where our organization was was changing and and everybody was sort of responding differently and 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 working hard to try to understand how to be successful in that environment and and understand how to work with organizations that we hadn't previously worked with um, as I reflect on my experience at ARL, I guess the two things that really stand out to me I mean were the the people that I had the opportunity to work with, the community that that I found there, and then I the Being there at a time of, you know, such sort of organizational disruption was pretty remarkable and and exciting. You don't stand up a four-star command and then change the Army operating concept without significant um, opportunities for, you know, growth and learning. So it was was a very interesting time to be there.
1: Um, Don't let me get you in no trouble now, but what's one of the coolest projects that you could share with our listeners that you worked on while you were there?
0: I mean, there were a lot of cool projects, you know, recently I I was in a management role, so I can't take credit for doing any of the technical work here, but there's this notion of a common operating picture in the army. So it's sort of how you, how you see and understand the battlefield. How do you represent it all visually so that you can, as commander who's trying to understand the battlefield quickly, you know, visually assess it and and make decisions. Um, And we had a, project that was on using augmented and virtual reality to render that, that common operating picture. But, you know, beyond that was how to sort of share that same common operating picture and information across different people and different modalities where different users trying to understand the same underlying data, but perhaps being rendered differently and in different devices, being in different parts of the battlefield, geographically distributed, and, and, and maybe even being sort of like differentiated in, in your purpose or mission so that how that underlying data, in order to inform what you're doing and help your decisions, I mean, it really needs to ultimately look different to you. I, I guess that would be sort of the underlying hypothesis, but, but still sort of trying to support shared understanding between. These users who might be having extremely, you know, personalized experiences of that same data. Yeah.
1: So, so just to add a little context and fidelity for our listeners, we are talking about your organization being a combat multiplier for the warfighter. And you've got soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines that are operating in austere environments. and the communication flow in high stake conditions is so tremendously important and for that information to flow from the lowest levels all the way up to the highest levels for those decision makers to be able to make real time decisions and then flow back down to those those soldiers on the ground tremendously important work and so just wanted to provide that additional context for some of our listeners who might not necessarily have that that granularity in terms of the importance of that common operating picture but really thankful that you're able to share a little bit about the work that you all were doing there can we can we talk one more leadership question before we dive into some of your break line experience in, in gusto yeah yeah of course so you've had a chance to lead some pretty diverse teams as a as an infantry platoon leader you know i know infantry soldiers are known for their prowess their physical grit and just their their um, you know their stick to itness. Uh, and then you get a chance to now lead these highly technical teams of researchers where they're flexing this intellectual horsepower and they're navigating these very ambiguous complex problems what was one of the biggest leadership lessons or themes that you took away from leading such a diverse set of, of teams
0: that uh, I mean that assumes that I've been able to distill real actionable themes from from those experiences. I think that one of the things that sort of stands out most to me in in thinking about sort of like leadership of small units in in the army versus leading scientists and engineers I, I, there are de- there are definitely approaches that are more appropriate for, (laughs) in each context and my experience of overseeing a team of scientists and engineers, it was very much about how do you, how do you sort of empower the individual to, to shine, really enable them to do their best work and really sort of deliver the resources to, for them to maximize sort of their individual contributions versus it's, it's a very different thing you're trying to do in small unit leadership, I guess, which is sort of always about the collective action. And that I, I guess there's a delicate balance there where you're always trying to sort of I, identify emerging leaders informal leaders empower your formal leaders. Certainly not at the expense of sort of the collective identity and effort. And I think that, I mean, requires different approaches to what might be appropriate to maximize individual con contributions and that sort of science and, and engineering realm may be inappropriate in the realm where you're looking for collective action, like at all times
1: what I'm hearing because I, I I'm you know, I'm taking some copious notes over here. What I'm hearing is you, you have to have an understanding of the environment and you have to have understanding of the individual requirements and the mission at hand for the organization. because I think to your point, that's something that's tremendously applicable, regardless of what sector you're in or regardless of what industry you're trying to lead, you have to have your ear to the ground, and you have to understand the motivators, you have to understand how to identify kind of the heartbeat of the organization. And that's gonna take different shapes and different forms. And so I really love just the context that you provided there because it's not a one size fits all type of situation. And I think that's one of the cool things about unpacking your story a little bit more is you've lived it, you've been there, you've got the receipts. And to see just the level of thoughtfulness that you've brought to each one of those situations I think is very informative. So I'm glad our our listeners are gonna get a chance to to hear and, and, and learn from that as well. So you've also shared in your experience that going back and getting your PhD, so you got your master's degree and your PhD in I, I couldn't even describe this. This was a complex. Can you tell us what you got? This this was some, some <laughs> complex stuff. I had to look this up. Was it applied mathematics and scientific computation? Is that correct?
0: We, I I went to a, uh, I graduated from a program that might be distinguished by the length of its name, and 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 I think, I mean, so it's applied mathematics, and statistics and scientific computation or computing. I would have to look this up, but-
1: I'm not going to you. I was like, man, this brother is up here doing some, I don't know what this is, but it sounds quite complex.
0: It, Yeah, it, uh... well, I assure you, I did nothing so complex, but the the title of the program is, is in fact complex. And I would, uh... I mean, I would entire, I would, encourage somebody who's maybe more strict about their grammar rules to look into how this is the, the use of conjunctions and, and punctuation in the name I've had to, well, you know, uh, what's,
1: what's interesting about this is you, you shared something earlier, which was that completing your PhD required you to forge your own path, exercise self-discipline and determination to overcome self-doubts and reach the finish line. And as I think about our listeners, I think That is such a profound personal observation. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on what it took for you to complete that highly technical program in the midst of professional transition, in the midst of life happening and all of the other external factors that we as human beings have to navigate on a day-to-day basis. Can you give us a little more insight there?
0: Yeah, completing the PhD program, I think it it sort of challenged me in two ways. One was the resolve to complete something despite all of the reasons not to complete it and and I mean the other was to sort of a Lime myself seriously and with as much, you know, vigor and energy as, as I could in at risk of failing, certainly expose yourself to, to failure. Um, I found myself finding lots of reasons to not complete the program You know PhD program, sort of designed to be long, but even efficient completion is four to six years or something. Um, so Sticking around for several years, maybe a little before mid-career, but like after at least one career in in the army at a time, as I, as I saw my peers, they were either progressing in leadership positions within the army. they were company commanders and they were instructors at west point or and or the ones who got out were they'd, they'd been in and out of their MBA program and were now. Kicking butt and taking names, and out in industry, and and here I was still uh, doing homework like I was like I was in college. I mean, there's certainly the economic incentives are not enough to do it. Similar to what you know they say when you're in in the army, it's sort of the the paycheck's not enough to do it. Like you really have to want to do it. When you finish your master's at year two or something, and then you spend three plus years on your dissertation, like you're not. the the return on investment from those, you know, first two years versus those last three plus years is you're getting considerably, you know, less return on on those last years. So it, you know, you've got to really like know why you're doing it and want to do it. And and so I guess the fact that I finished meant I had a good reason for wanting to finish, which might just be um, being very uh, headstrong, but It was something that was, I really wanted to do for myself. Um, and, and, and then the, the other headwind, um, to, you know, to my other point or the other challenge, um, there's a lot of failure and and a significant risk of failure. And I think if, if you, if you apply yourself and you challenge yourself and continue to do so, like you'll inevitably fail, and you'll find people who can can do it better, who can do it faster. I certainly experienced that in, in grad school. I, I got there day one, and as it turned out, there are a lot of people smarter than me. Some of them were undergrads, and the skills that you bring are, it's not the only thing you bring to the table. Deciding to apply myself seriously to to completing the program, knowing that, I was not going to be the smartest person to ever practice mathematics, but could approach problems with a unique perspective, you know.
1: I think one of the things that i have just taken away is, it's this unyielding resiliency (laughs) around, I started this thing and I'm going to finish it. And I think what I really, love about what you shared and what I'm taking away is you have to have an understanding and a deeper sense of purpose around it, right? It can't be, it can't, all things in life worth working for I think are going to stretch us to our limits and are going to force us to find some form of intrinsic motivation in order to persevere. And that's what I hear when I listen to your story. Uh, because four, five, six years of, of school and a very complex program, that is nothing to hold your nose at. And uh, I actually owe you an apology because I've been misaddressing you this entire conversation. We actually have a doctor in the house, so I should be addressing you as Dr. Bohannon, and I will for the duration of the last few minutes of this interview. You, you successfully completed your journey. And end up coming through Breakline, absolute culture carrier, Breakline rock star, and you land this really cool role as a senior data scientist at Gusto. So would you mind rounding us out by just sharing a little bit more about your Breakline experience and then what it means for you, for your family to land this role at Gusto, why you chose the organization, any additional insights that you want to share there? would be greatly appreciated.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about this opportunity for, I mean, for, for just a ton of reasons. The easiest reason, it, it, I mean, it really supports where my family is right now, but allowed us to move closer to our extended family and have a much closer and broader community to, to help us uh, grow our family and And, of course, the resources to do so, so I mean that's transformational and 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 then the meaning of work uh, that it that it provides I mean, I was really I feel like m- machine learning sort of in at an interesting juncture right now in in the research space, I mean the the rate of progress is blistering, and there's so many papers and conferences and new new programs and departments built up around this sort of, I mean, to call it an emerging field would be incorrect, but this rapidly growing discipline. But at least my experience through research for the Army has been that our, our tools and our techniques and our understanding are, are relatively sufficient. It's the hard part is sort of, working through the use cases of how machine learning benefits products or workflows or individual technologies like how how we actually incorporate it in a repeatable and robust way and so the the opportunity that Gusto presents where they have this outstanding product and and tons of customers that that each have their own great mission and and that Gusto can empower through their products, the opportunity to, to go there and, and work through what, you know, I think is really the, the hard problem of machine learning right now, at least in my limited perspective of how do you, how do you put it into a product or a workflow such that it reliably was valuable to whoever that end user is so yeah, I I I mean I I couldn't be you know more excited about that opportunity. I it certainly satisfies my need for like mission and purpose in 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 work. I feel like I'm yeah, doing something technically challenging and satisfying and 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 but also mission driven and purposeful. You know sort of locally within what Gusto's doing, but then also more broadly.
1: But just to bring it all yeah. in a circle. The last question I want to ask you is, we're bringing this thing all the way back home. And like I said, we started off in a small town in Wisconsin, now we're here. And so for all of the aspiring software engineers, data scientists, programmers out there who may be listening to this particular episode, What's your word of encouragement? What's your word of wisdom to those folks who are hoping to embark on a similar journey?
0: Mm -hmm. Words of encouragement. Yeah. I mean, I guess to be uh, thematically consistent, it it sounds like a lot of our conversation is gravitated around the importance of humility and and how it interplays with resilience. I I think when you're going to do something challenging, which you should, I certainly believe, like, I, if if you're somebody who gets a lot of satisfaction out of doing something challenging, then you have to be willing to apply yourself and, and fail and learn and grow from that. And, and then try again, just as seriously at risk of failure. I think that's from something that I've certainly found necessary in my journey. Yeah. I think that, uh, I don't, that that, that might not be an, like, overwhelmingly positive message, but.
1: (laughs) No, and, you know, I think the thing about it is, is it's so, I think it's important to be authentic and as honest as possible with folks who are seriously considering stepping into this field, right? And I think it sounds like you've stepped into this space with your eyes wide open, and I think that's. I think that's a major contributing factor to the success that you've been able to achieve. This ain't an easy road. It is not an easy road. And that's one thing that I am taking away from your story is it takes a lot of intrinsic motivation. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of persistence. And what's very cool about where you are in this particular juncture of your career is to see What's on the other side of all that hard work? And now the contributions that you're going to be able to make at scale for a rapidly growing organization at a critical juncture in their trajectory. And so for all the listeners out there who who may be on the fence, I hope you get a chance to go back, hit the replay, and just soak up some of the great wisdom and insights that Dr. Addison Bohannon is leaving us with this evening. Um, Sir, you have been so gracious with your time. Thank you so much uh, for coming through the Breakline Arena, giving us a peek behind the curtain, and most importantly, for sharing your time and insights with our community.
0: Thanks for having me, Kenny. No, I, I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed the time.
1: And for all our listeners out there, if you enjoyed what you heard, we just need you to do one of three things hit that like button hit that subscribe or if it really touched your spirit go ahead and hop in apple Podcasts and leave us a review we'd love to hear your thoughts and most importantly it helps us continue to get this great content there out to you so on that note folks this is Kenny Vaughn signing out with Dr Addison Bohannon from the Breakline HQ We'll see you all again on the high ground.